0: So, uh, it really has been a wonderful privilege for us having Stan and Heather Phipps with us uh, for the weekend. No strangers, many of you were here at the Equip a couple of weeks ago, and uh, Stan and Heather were ministering there, and I heard such an amazing report from that, and that's why we're so privileged. We had uh, a time uh, with our elders, and then yesterday morning, some of you men were there, joined us. We had an incredible men's time with uh, one of the elders who came up from uh, Glenridge Church as well and blessed us. We had a time with uh, the leaders, and then just a wonderful time this morning, just feasting on what God God was saying to us. And so uh, Stan and Heather, thank you so much for coming to Zululand and coming to be a huge blessing here. Stan and Heather Phipps lead an incredible church, Glenridge Church in Durban. And uh, soon after getting saved, I was in Durban, and and, uh, that's where so much of the foundation to my faith was laid in that church. And so it's always got a very special uh, place in my heart, and we so appreciate you. And uh, Heather's going to be introducing her man some more. So come on, Heather, we want to hear from you. And so let's put our hands together and welcome. Heather to the stage
1: Thank you so much um, I feel like I told everybody this morning I feel like we're locals now yeah. We're um, back the second time I'm a little bit worried that we bought the rain again Because it rained when we came for the equip But um, we found the best place to have coffee Chad, you can tell your brother Lee best coffee in Richards Bay. Um, in Pangani we're going to have to come and have coffee there somewhere. Um, but yeah, thank you. It's been wonderful to be here. Um, we do feel like family. We, we don't feel like visitors. We feel like we're part of your family now. You have welcomed us, and we, we're delighted to be here. So I know Stan the man is going to bless you tonight. So come on up, babe. Come and bless them.
2: So just before you go here... I just, um, you know, to Jesus says, you, or, uh, the book of Acts talks about Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, outermost parts. And I think you can, you can maybe reach your Jerusalem by yourself, but you certainly can't reach your Judea by yourself. You need regional partners. And if you, need, if you want to reach the outermost parts of the world, you need international partners. And so it's an amazing thing to be part of a partnership that is both local and regional and beyond to the, to the outermost parts of the world. I'm absolutely convinced no church, no group of people will get done the job that Jesus wants to get done by themselves. And we need each other profoundly, and as part of the NCMR partnership, actually we need other partnerships like NCMR, thousands of them to reach this world and to change the, the lives of men and women and build the things that God wants us to build. But in light of the, uh, the uh, elections... I've, I've had this, this text, Zechariah chapter 8, I'd I love Heather to, to read it over you, and she's going to replace the word Zion with the word Amplatuzi, is that right? Is that right? Did I say it right? And um, so, just, just listen to this, this is out of the message, Zechariah chapter 8, verses 1 to 8, or thereabouts. So, um, you got it, man? Right? Got it? No? Got it? Yes, got it.
1: You're going to hold that for me. Okay, this is what God says in Zechariah 8. He says, a message from God of the angel armies. I'm zealous for Amplituzi. I care. I am angry about Amplituzi. I'm involved. God's message. I've come back to Amplituzi. I've moved back to Amplituzi. Amplitusi's um, new names will be Truth City, and Mountain of God of the Angel Armies, and Mount Holiness, a message from God of the Angel Armies, old men and old women will come back to Amplitusi, um, sit on benches on the streets and spin tails, move around safely with their canes, a good city to grow old in. And boys and girls will fill the public parks, laughing and playing, a good city to grow up in. A message from God, the angel armies, do the problems of returning and rebuilding by just a few survivors seem too much? But is anything too much for me? Not if I have my say. A message from God of the angel armies. I'll collect my people from countries to the east and countries to the west. I'll bring them back and move them into Mkla They'll be my people and I'll be their God. I'll stick with them and do right by them.
2: How profound is that, eh? Amazing promise that, eh? I love that. A, lo- a place to grow old and a grace to pro- grow up in. That's the plan of God for the cities of this earth. A good place to grow up in and a good place to grow old in. And God is zealous for his people and zealous for the nations of the world. Let me just put my timer on there. There we go. So, tonight, I want to look at Isaiah 61. Rebuilders and restorers. This text has... uh, has really gripped my heart over the last couple of years, especially considering what we're going through and what we've gone through in terms of COVID. And uh, I'd love us just to have a look at this text and to receive the commission from God that he has for us to be rebuilders and restorers. And I hope we'll get to unpack that a little bit more. So it says this in Isaiah 61. The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord... Is on me. Sorry, just to interrupt that straight away. Luke chapter 4, Jesus says these very words. He stands up in the synagogue and he finds the scroll and he reads this of himself. So actually, these these first few verses, these that he's actually, this is this is what he reads. And so when we read these, we know who the spirit of the Lord is upon. It's Jesus. So with that in mind, we continue to read. The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me. Because the Lord has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. The year of the Lord's favor was the year then all debt was canceled. When everything was put back to reset, was reset again and you started again every 50 years. This was a, this was a, Jesus has come to reset our lives, friends. Jesus has come to wipe away the debt. Jesus has come to put in place something so that we're in constant reset. We're constantly resetting in Him. And we're going to break bread just now because that's the reset moment. Every time we break bread, it's the reset of, God, you've reset me. It's the year of the Lord's favor. I've forgotten that. I've started to act to my own strength. I've started to think it's all about me. I've started to think it's all about this or that or whatever it is, and I'm overwhelmed because the country is full of this, and we're not back to the year of the Lord's favor is on you, my boy. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, there is a moment when people will face the audience of one. It says that in Revelation chapter 5. When everything on this planet will will acknowledge Him as King. And if you have not put your hand in in the hand of Christ, if you've not put your faith in Jesus at that moment, it's too late. If you're sitting here tonight, and you've not put your faith in this Jesus, He's come to reset your life. If you put your faith in Him, it'll be incredible what He will do with you. He will change everything about you. You'll change the way you think, the way you see, the way you hear things. The, what you what you think you're capable of, he's going to reset all of that for you. He goes on to say, to comfort all who mourn, and to provide for those who grieve in Zion, to bestow on them a crown of beauty. To bestow on them a crown of beauty, instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning. This is what Jesus does for us, friends. When we're feeling like we're not looking great, like we've got ashes on us, he comes and puts a crown of beauty on us. When we're lacking joy and we we are mourning, and some of us are mourning. I met a lady earlier who lost her husband, not through COVID, but through some other unfortunate circumstances. And she's mourning. I want to say to that lady, if you will go to Jesus, if you will go to Jesus, He'll put an oil of gladness over you supernaturally beyond what you can understand. A garment of praise instead of despair. He's going to clothe you with praise. One of the greatest weapons we have in this world is worship. And when we worship Him, we receive a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. A weak spirit, that's what that means. A failing spirit. Instead of a failing spirit or a weak spirit, God comes and strengthens us with worship and with praise. But friends, that's what Jesus has done for us. And what happens now, the text begins to transition from Jesus saying, this is what I've done, to this is what I've made you to be. I want you to say this after me. I'll tell you the word and then then I want us to say it together. We are a so that people. Please say that after me. I am a so that person. I am a so that person. person. The reason why we're a so that person is that everything that Jesus has done for us is so that we can become something in his kingdom. It's so that we can become a kingdom of priests. It's so that we can become a holy nation. It's so that we can become an oak of righteousness. That's what it says here. You will become, they will be called. That's what he comes to do. And when we get, when Jesus gets hold of us and we get hold of him, those things become ours. Everything we need for restoration, everything that we need to move forward, everything we need to recoup and to reset is in those first three verses. There's nothing that's left out. Nothing. So that they will be called oaks of righteousness. And commentators say oaks there is used. To portray something that is significant, large, noticeable, prominent are some of the words they use. So Jesus comes and he puts all of this in place on the cross. And he releases it to us as we put our faith in him so that we can become large, significant, noticeable, noticeable, prominent, righteous people. People that have right standing with their king. A planting of the Lord, you and I, because of the comfort, because of the praise, because of the oil of gladness, because of the year of the Lord's favor, we can become a planting of the Lord. It's His planting. So when He gets hold of our hearts, we become that work of His hands. We become this oak of significant righteousness, of right standing before God, God, and we become a planting of the Lord. We become this work of God, of significance, of prominence, for the display of His splendor. You see, all of this is so that, become a planting of the Lord so that we can display Him gloriously, become an oak of righteousness so that we honor and glorify Him. And we point people back to him as they begin to see our lives. And then it goes on to say in, re- in verse 4, they will rebuild. Have you noticed in this text how the text moves from, from a personal kind of individual, I will, the Spirit of the Lord is on me, to a public demonstration. It's kind of the, the, the language changes from what Jesus has done for us. It moves from him to us. It moves from this incredible privilege that we have in Jesus to this unbelievable responsibility that we have with Him to put into action and to take on by faith what He has done in our lives. It moves from restoration that comes from me, for me, and you'll see now as we read, to restoration for a city or a region. And this text is one of these texts that has literally gripped me. I've said, Lord, if we've got all of this, surely the places that we live, the regions in which we live, the work that we do has got to be a different place. Lord, please help us as a church. Help us equip our people, that they can equip people. Remember, you become a disciple so that you can make disciples. So that everything, put so that in between everything. It's never about it's never about me. It's I'm blessed so that I can be a blessing. God has blessed me so that I can continue to bless others. Just put it into everything. Everything in the kingdom of God, so that. So that. That's what God is, that's how He works. Is this me spitting on this thing? No, it's not. <laughs> he carries on, he says in verse four, he says, They so they'll be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord, a display for his of his splendor. They will rebuild ancient ruins and restore places long devastated, and they will renew ruined cities that, we have, been, that have been devastated for generations. So you see, friends, this is, not, this, is, this is a massive work. This is like hundreds of years of devastation, hundreds of years of ruin, but then the people of God, the man of God, the son of God, Jesus comes, He does a work so that His people can be rebuilders, restorers, and renewers. So that places that have been long devastated can become whole again. And that doesn't start with brick and mortar. That starts with people. A 70-year-old man or woman that has never met Jesus... Or lived, or maybe has known Jesus and never lived in the forgiveness of God, or never been able to forgive. In a moment of clarity, for seventy years of of devastation, they can find God in a moment and be renewed and restored. What we want to do, friends, is we want to take hold of the opportunity in God now, so that we can be the so that people for as long as possible. We don't want to get there when we're 70 and only have a couple of years left. We want to get there as quickly as possible. We want to see the teenagers get there and they start to click so that, so that, so that, so that I can be, so that I can be, so that I can, so that they can have a lifetime of building and renewing and restoring. Aliens will shepherd your flocks. Foreigners will work your fields and vineyards and you will be called priests of the Lord and you will be named ministers of our God. You will feed on the wealth of the nations, and in their riches you will boast. I'm not exactly sure what that means, but it sounds like people from overseas are going to come and pour money in us. But I don't know. I mean, I'm a bit of a dwarf oak, but I'm thinking maybe there's some deeper meaning there, but like, Lord, come. Come, Lord. Come, Lord. South Africa, South Africa is a breadbasket to the nations of people of God, of missionaries. No longer do the missionaries come from America to Africa, from the UK to Africa. They go from Africa to America and go from Africa to Europe and go from all other places. This nation is called to send missionaries to the first world nations, to the third world nations, and whatever world nation you are. We because Jesus is king. And no matter what our currency looks like, no matter what our rand looks like, this nation is called to send. And that's because God's going to provide somehow through the wealth of the nations. This is what his people can expect. Instead of shame our people will receive a double portion, and instead of disgrace they will rejoice in their inheritance, and they will inherit a double portion in their land, and everlasting joy will be theirs. Amazing, eh? Come on Lord, please. Come Jesus. Places long devastated, need you and me. Lives long devastated, need you and me. By the Spirit of God, by the power of God, by the love of God, to come and do a rebuilding work. To take the work that Jesus has done in our lives, in comfort, in the year of the Lord's favor, and to be the conduit that brings it through to somebody else, by the power of God, so that we can become this display for the splendor, of the splendor and the glory of God for his, for his kingdom. So I want to look at two, two aspects of this. And um, I want to talk one about, firstly, about we rebuild, we rebuild as priests and ministers. I want to have a look at that text. And secondly, I want to talk about what does the heart of a rebuilder look like. What does a rebuilder look like? How, what does it mean for us? Because this has got to mean something for us in everyday life. And otherwise, it's actually no use to us. So, first thing is this. We rebuild as priests and ministers. So a priest is somebody that mediates the blessing of God. And a minister is somebody that serves or waits on it. Waits on, it's in, the, in the New Testament, it's a deacon. And in in it talks about Jesus being a servant. He was, he was, a, he was this, this thing, minister. So what we do as the people of God, because of all that Jesus has done for us, we become these priests and ministers. Those that mediate the blessing of God through serving other people. We mediate the blessing of God by loving other people. We mediate the blessing of God by loving Jesus... And living in a life of love towards others. Uh, uh, living for the, uh, love simply means this, to live for the best of another. So when God says he loves you, it means this, he always lives for your best. And so when he says, I'll live for your best so that you can live for the best of others. So that, always, so that. But I love what it says there in the ESV, I read the NRV. In the ESV, it says about that portion about the, the flocks and the, and the priests and the ministers, it says this. The strangers will, shall stand and tend your flocks. Foreigners shall be your plowmen and vine dressers. But you shall be called priests of the Lord. They shall speak of you as ministers of our God. You shall eat the wealth of the nations, and in their glory you shall boast. But I read that in the ESV and it says says that they shall speak of you. You see, you can easily see this. So this text is about God restoring his people. God coming with the anointed one, which is the king, which is going to come and conquer. And God's going to restore these people. And so in physics, this actually happened. This was the people of God being restored. Now we know Jesus becomes that because of the prophetic aspect and prophetic language of it. So... You can easily see this as all those people as like a payback thing. So when you read that, you think, yeah, "Well, so all these guys, these strangers, these people now that were your slave drivers, God's going to free you, and then what they're going to do is they're going to tend your flocks and they're going to be your plowmen and they're going to work for you and they're going to become your slaves." I don't think that's what it's talking about. You see, it's not about payback. It's not about vengeance. It's not that. It doesn't mean that. It's like, it doesn't mean you were treated like an outsider. Now you're going to treat them like outsiders. No, no, no. It's, it's, it includes, it. what this I think means is that God is going to set you free and provide you with businesses and setups that you can employ people, that you can provide employment for people. That you can provide opportunity for people, and they will call you priests and ministers. I love that. Actually, that's what I think it is. I think, I think the people of God become so fruitful, so industrious, that they provide the opportunity, that they be, provide employment, and those that they're employing say to them, you, like a, you mediate the blessing of God. What is it about you that serves? You're my boss, but you serve. What's that? What does that mean? You see, friends, to be regarded as a priest, as those that mediate the blessing of God in the workplace, is a profound act of a rebuilder. We don't just mediate the blessing of God on a Sunday morning and a Sunday service. We mediate the blessing of God because we're the people of God wherever we are. Wherever we are. We call to rub shoulders with our work colleagues and with our bosses and with our employees and mediate blessing. Mediate the blessing of God over them. They recognize, these people that work for them recognize that these guys act on behalf of God. Imagine that. Imagine that was the workplace we lived in. Friends, God's calling us to this. God's call us, keep calling us to be rebuilders, but we rebuild as priests and ministers. We, don't, we rebuild with our technical skills and we rebuild with our, all our, our kind of gifting here, but we also rebuild by the Spirit of God, mediating the blessing of God to the places that we work. Friends, when the church gets that, cities will change on their head the problem is is that we don't back ourselves with god we don't back ourselves that actually you are gifted that you have something and you think it's stupid but it's the it's the, it's the small things that have big impact if you just put yourself out there god will start blessing and start changing and start shifting things around you see we are priests and ministers What do people call you at work? How do people speak of you at work? It's an important question for rebuilders of the kingdom. We have this thing in the church called my church hat and my business hat. And I'm nice in church, but I'm not nice in business. And then I say to people, it's okay, it's just business, don't take it personally. Now friends, I'm not saying we've got to be stupid. I'm just saying we've got to think, what do people say about us? Do they recognize us as priests and ministers, as those that mediate the blessing of God into their lives and into those businesses? Are we good employees and good employers? Are we working hard? Do we get the job done? How do we get the job done? These are all questions. Do we have a good name and reputation in the marketplace? i have known as priests and ministers. So the reputation that we have in the marketplace will be the reputation that we give our father in the marketplace, that we give our king in the marketplace. Do we mediate blessing or do we consume it? Priests and ministers mediate blessing. I don't know what the opposite of a priest and a mediator is, but they consume it. They become a dam, not a river. These are all questions I think we need to ask ourselves if we understand that we are rebuilders as priests and ministers. The second thing I want to speak to you about is some of the characteristics of a good builder. So we've got to understand we priests and ministers. I come from a building background. I I used to build roads and bridges. And building is a very methodical thing. Building, you you think of a a fancy bridge. And when you look at it, you think, wow, what a work this is. This is unbelievable. But when you're actually building it, because you've got tons of drawings tons of drawings and concrete drawings and steel drawings and all sorts of drawings, shutter drawings, and, and then you've got drawings for every single piece. But when you start at the bottom and you just take the first step and you build that, and you take the next step and you build that, it's actually uncomplicated because it's just one step at a time, one row at a time, one layer at a time. That's what building is. Building, building is not a flash in the pan Get it up as quickly as you can. That rhymes again, bro. I'm on it. It's just flowing. It's it, it, building. Proper building takes time. Who's built at home before? They say it's gonna. They say it's gonna take three months. It doesn't. It takes six. And you get you pulling your hair. I just want these guys out of here. It always takes longer than you think. Because you come up with things you don't understand. You don't know what's under the ground until you start digging. You start digging, oh, now what? Sewage pipe. Oh, we've got lots of sewage pipes in our lives. (laughs) Hit a sewage pipe, Lord, please help me. Building building takes time, friends. And um, the first thing that you need to know if you want to be a good builder is you've got to be able to read the plans. So you've got to have a heart for God, and you've got to have a, get the heart of God so that you can get the plans of God, which includes, and I've left my Bible over there because I can't read it in this light, which includes reading this thing because this is the plans of God. And if we begin to read this as a builder, Lord, how do I rebuild? How do I... It changes the way you read this. This becomes more of a manual to rebuilding than it does some kind of spiritual thing that's got no application to my life. You've got to read God's plans. And God's plans are for people, friends. And when God puts a bunch of people together, it's called a city. And a city is made up of a bunch of believers called a church. And when those churches begin to do what they call to do, the city begins to change. Because it's about people. And so one of the things of a rebuilder is you never ever see people from a worldly point of view. It says that in this text. It says you, you don't regard anybody from a fleshly point of view. What you're doing is when you see people, you see the call of God on them. And you see the gold inside of them, even though it doesn't look very gold at the time. And you ask God for ways to pull the gold out of them so that they can become the people they're called to be. That's what love looks like. The second thing, if you want to be a, bit, a good builder, I'm just going to rush through these, is that you've got to build on a good foundation. There is no other foundation for your life than Jesus Christ. Any other foundation is sinking sand. We sing a song like that. Any other foundation is sinking sand. No matter how, thin- how good it looks, how fancy it looks, if it's built on sand, it's not going to last. That is a basic building principle the way to build a foundation is you've got to get it onto the rock and if the rock is deep you put piles down you smash things down into the ground until they hit the rock and then you build a concrete plinth on top of them and then you build on top of that and then that thing won't move and it's exactly the same in the kingdom of god friends we have got to build on the foundation of jesus and it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 10, by, grace God is, by the grace God has given me, I laid a foundation as an expert builder, and someone else is building on it. Friends, if somebody else can't build on your work, you're not building well. You've got to be able to take your work further. I'm building so that somebody else can build on top of my work. It's like a basic thing here. Actually, Paul, Paul does this. He's building in such a way that somebody else can come and lead the church after him and continue to build. Doesn't have to re-excavate and re-underpin because he hasn't built well. He's, he comes and he's just able to keep building. But each one should be careful how he builds. Got to be careful, for no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Christ Jesus. Foundations, friends, are so powerful, are so simple, they they unseen, they messy work. When you, when you build foundations in areas where bridges are, and remember the reason why there's a bridge there is because there's water there. Now you are digging below the water line, and you've got to put concrete down there. It's messy, it's expensive, nobody even knows what they look like. And you think the guys have been working there for six months, and what have they done? They've done nothing. No, they've been doing all the hard work. It takes time to come out the ground. It takes time to come out the ground. I think it can take 10 or 15 years for a church to come out the ground. To start to launch into part of what God has for them. It's not quick. Anything quick, be careful. No get-rich-quick schemes in the kingdom of God. I think... Richard Foster said this. He said the desperate need today is not for a greater number of intelligent people or gifted people, but for deep people. Deep people. Got to be on a foundation. And speaking of depth, your depth will determine the load that you can carry. Can I just go engineering once again? So a beam, when you load a beam, if you increase the depth of the beam, it increases the, the load-carrying capacity of that beam not by the amount of the depth, but by the square of the depth. In fact, it's more than the square. It might even be to the eighth. But it's, it's exponentially, the, more, the deeper you are, the deeper, if you double the depth, you like quadruple the load. And it's exactly the same in the, num- in the kingdom of God, friends. If you go deep, You'll be surprised at what you can carry. And that's what Jesus provides for us. He provides depth for us in that beginning part of Isaiah 61. So that we can carry load. So that we can have good foundations. That's what the redwoods do. You know what the redwoods do? They don't go deep, they go shallow. But you know what their strength is? Each other. The roots interconnect, and the winds come. The roots interconnect, and that massive 100-meter-long tree just stands. (laughs) Not because it's gone deep, but because it's gone wide and it's connected. So depth and, and this kind of foundation comes, friends, by going deep with God and going wide with people. When you go deep with God and wide with people, you become an unstoppable, unbreakable force of nature in the kingdom of God carries on. It says there, be careful how you build and with what you build. You've got to be careful how you build and with what you're building. So when you build with the word of God, when you build with the life of Jesus, when you build with the spirit of God, it actually blasts. Something happens. Something. And he goes on to say in 1 Corinthians 3 verse 13, he says, this work will be shown for what it is because the day will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire and the fire will, um, and the fire will test the quality of each man's work. If what he bu- has built survives, he will receive his reward. Do you know how you know if you've been careful of how you build and caref- you careful with what you build? Do you know how you know? Time. More than time. Fire and time. Pressure and time will determine whether you build for the long haul. Pressure. That's what he says, the fire, the day will come and it will be revealed with fire. As soon as we're under pressure, friends, that's when we know what, how we're building with. And that's why we grow when we suffer. That's why we grow when we're in hardship, because we get put back onto the rock when we're in tough times. Don't despise that. I said this to the eldership team the other night. I said, we've got to be people that learn to take pain and turn it into privilege. The gospel always does that. It takes suffering and turns it into growth. If you want to be first, you must be lost. So if you feel like you're lost all the time, you've got to put Jesus first. You become lost, and then Jesus will promote you. See, it's, we've got to turn pain into privilege. If we never turn pain into privilege, we live in the pain and we stop seeing the privilege. and we stop. And, and this is especially true in ministry. We have the privilege, friends, of knowing Jesus. We have the privilege of having a secure foundation. We have a privilege that COVID can come at us, and hardship can come at us, and we can stand because we're standing on something that is not us, that is transcendent, that is powerful, that is omniscient, that's all those big omni words. just powerful. We don't get moved easily. Pressure and time. Prince, if you build with Chinese in the kingdom, (laughs) sorry, Chinese guys, it can look great for a week. Heart of a builder, let me just finish quickly. It's hard work, friends. Nothing of value comes without hard work. It's like, sorry to have to tell you this. Friends, you know know, we live, Pentecostal charismatic Christians, I'm telling you now, we live in a prosperity mindset, we don't even know it. We're always looking for revival now, because then God, we don't have to do anything, then God does it. We're always looking for the moment, big moment, like all of a sudden, boop, done. Friends, most of the time, faith and patience inherit the promises of God. Most of the time. It's like, just, just, if you don't expect it, and know God, actually I'm trusting you, Jesus. I'm going to walk patiently, faithfully, and I'm actually going to let, walk, and then you inherit the promises. They come to you but when we when we not when we we expecting all the time when we kind of we get disappointed because god's not breaking through and god's not breaking through we've learned, we haven't learned to take pain and turn it into privilege and then what happens is we miss the moments in god of growth and opportunity friends b- rebuilders this city this city needs a rebuilder generation it's hard work it's hard work it's chipping away it's back breaking Most of the time, rebuilding, you've got to get it back down to the foundations. I love those YouTube restorer videos. I'm like addicted to them. They take an old Tonka truck like thing. It's all battered and rusted and the guy will take it apart. You know, they don't don't talk in those things. They just, the guy points and there's a little thing that comes. And then they've got, and they've just got off the charts equipment like, Workshops Like they've got little sanding machines, like sandblasting things. I'm thinking, oh, I love one of those. They've got little lays. They've got all these things. But it's taking it apart. So often rebuilding means taking it apart. Getting back to foundations and then begin to rebuild again. Slowly but surely. It's hard work. You've got to be resilient. You've got to be committed to the process to be a rebuilder. Whether you're building a business or whether you're building the kingdom or... Actually, Jesus is building the kingdom. We're just partnering with him. But when you're building a business or you, you, you're trying to do stuff for the kingdom, friends, you've got to be resilient. You've got to not give up. Can I just... Uh, it's like this most obvious statement. You need each other. You don't become resilient on your own. You become resilient because you're part of a community of people that knows that you're going through a tough time, and the way they know that you're going through a tough time is because you're with them. And when you're with them, they know you're going with it through a tough time, so they pray for you, and they look after you, and they do everything to help you be resilient. And then you don't not be part of the community, and then get miffed with the community because they didn't help you. They didn't know because you weren't there. Sorry, just a little, it's a pastor thing, like I it's just, it's, sorry, apologize. Yeah, it, does ma- it doesn't happen in Richard's Bay in Pangani, I know. <laughs> <laughs> last one, last one. Build with the long game in mind. Build with the long game in mind. You know when they used to build the cathedrals? It used to take 400, 600 years to build a cathedral. Magnificent buildings built an architecture to display the, the presence and the enormity and the power of God. Just beautifully decorated, just unbelievable. And they didn't have cranes, guys. It wasn't like get the thing and just zzz, 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 put that thing and start going. They didn't have that. I think a couple of those got crushed pushing that block up there. One more guy get crushed. Ah, oh, oh, that's it. It's right, right level. <laughs> but what would happen, friends, is the craftsmen... The stonemasons. There'd be a generation of stonemasons, and the father would start the work. And all he would know is that he had to do this part of the statue. He didn't have the whole picture in mind. All he knew is he had to play his part. There was somebody that was putting this whole thing together. So all he did is he, put, he produced his work, which took his lifetime. And, and, and over his lifetime, he taught his son to do the same thing. You see, you become a worker in God so that you can make your sons workers of God. Always so that. So he makes the makes son a worker, and he continues the other projects of the other statues. They've never seen the whole thing. And he finishes, and he dies. And maybe two or three generations of people die and never see the finished product. But they faithfully do what God's called them to do in the plan. You've got to build with the long plan in mind. I was chatting to Brent the other day, and we were talking about this kind of church that we long to see. And we, as we were running, and I said, we said we were saying this, we've just got to keep planting the seeds. Maybe it's not our generation that sees that church. And I've got to be comfortable that I might not see that church. I might not see this generation. But maybe Adam will. And maybe Sam will. And maybe Jody will. Maybe it's their generation. If we do our bit and teach them to do their bit, they will do their bit, and with the kingdom of God will come. We've got to be rebuild, We've got to have hearts of rebuilders and restorers. We've got to be these people that take the work that Jesus has done and apply to our lives so that we can give it away to others. We've got to be these people that rebuild as kingdom, as a, as priests and ministers. You're not just an accountant or a lawyer. Or a teacher. You're a priest, minister, teacher. You're a priest, minister, accountant. You're a priest, minister, business owner. We, 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 we do our job with God in mind all the time. And we work that out and we work that out. And friends, I believe this, this nation needs a church of rebuilders. More, even more so after COVID. But I think more than anything, the church the church needs a... a a, a minority, a creative minority of rebuilders and restorers begin doing their work and slowly influencing and slowly but surely playing the long game and slowly teaching their kids and slowly teaching their children's children and blessing the nations as we slowly begin to rebuild. And we do that because of everything he has done, because we live in the year of the Lord's favor. In Jesus' name, amen. Bless you guys. so great way to finish this off to land this on your seats is a wafer what are these things called miracle meals I think if you had to ask me how do we rebuild what's the what's the key What's the secret? There isn't a secret, because it's not a secret. His name is Jesus. And what this meal represents, you know when you have a birthday? You can have your 50th, I've just had a 50th, you can, it's unbelievably painful. <laughs> you, can have a, you can have a 50th birthday celebrating the day you were born 50 years ago. So your birthday is actually a moment where you look back and you thank God. And big birthdays like 50th and 40th and 60th, oh, jeepers. When you, <laughs> you, you, you look back and, you, and you, you begin to appreciate and you begin to thank God for your wife and your kids and your family. and your Just you, you look back and you thank God. But then people come to you and what do they say to you on your birthday? Many happy returns of the day. So they say lord they saying basically they're saying i hope this day keeps returning for you. Yeah. It looks forward. What this does is it places us in the present. The kingdom of God, the people of God are always a past, present and future people all the time. Wherever we are in the present, we live because of the work of finished work of Jesus on the cross. We know that our past has been wiped away by that work. We know that our sin has been forgiven. Because our sin has been forgiven past, present, and future. And we look back and we think of the wonder and the power and the glory of all that he's done. But more than that, we anticipate, he says in 1 Corinthians 11, we anticipate the return. We anticipate this moment because we look forward as well. And so no matter where we are here, we thank God for what he's done for us. But we also look forward to what he wants to do with us. And ultimately look forward to that day when we will meet with him around the table. Imagine the day. Every believer, somehow around this massive table, with the king at the head, with Jesus at the head. He says, I'm not going to drink this again until I feast with you in the kingdom. We have an opportunity right now, with the Holy Spirit present, like Jesus is with us right now. To look back and thank God, and to look forward and thank God. And so, Father, we come now and we break this wafer, Lord, because you are broken. We recognize something must die for us to live, that we are dependent on somebody else's sacrifice to live. We thank you that we can receive comfort from you. We can receive forgiveness from you. Thank you that we live in your favor, O God, because of your brokenness. We eat this wafer, Lord. We eat this bread as a symbol of your body and say thank you. end of the meal Jesus took the cup and he said this is my blood never again will your sin ever count against you never ever again never again will you ever or should you ever live in condemnation Not only that, not only has the penalty of sin been paid for, but the power of sin has been broken over you if you put your faith in me and allow me to do my work in your life. In my blood, in my body, and our togetherness has set a future up for my kingdom in this region, in this church, in your church, and in your life live in anticipation of what he wants to do. Live in anticipation of that day when we return, when he returns and makes all things new. Live in a day where Jesus has already been here and has started to make you new already. And so we prepare ourselves for that day by becoming new in him every day. And we drink this blood, this, this, this juice, in recognition of the blood of Jesus, the forgiveness of sin, and the future that he has for us. In Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord. Father, bless every single person here. Bless their homes, their businesses, their hearts. Father, I pray that you would rise up a generation of rebuilders and restorers and renewers, of priests and ministers that will powerfully, powerfully, powerfully impact this region and the nations of the earth. In Jesus' name. Amen. Bless you guys.
0: Come on, friends, let's stand together and worship the King. Let's give the Lord a round of applause as we do that as well. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for this gift.